the legion, legion of lethargic super geeks discussing comics one trade at a time. Episode one, Wolverine by Claremont and Miller. Uh, welcome to the Legion of Lethargic Super Geeks. We are a comic book of the month podcast, and this month we're reading uh, Wolverine by uh, Claremont and Miller, the original Wolverine miniseries. And I just looked it up on Comic Book DB. There was a little bit of conversation between Brian and I about this this week. Uh, we were trying to remember uh, when this thing was published, and uh, Brian had speculated 1987. It's actually 1982. Yeah, I was in like middle school when I was reading this. Right. I knew it was. I knew it was really early, but I I, I didn't realize how early. So, um, but I do remember that the first time I read this, I read I had I had had gone into the the, the back issue bins to find it, um, and even when I was you know buying it in the back issues in 1985 or 86 or whenever it was. Um, it was costing me like 10 or 20 bucks an issue because it was already that popular. Well, they came out, this was one of the first ones that came out with an actual graphic novel of, like when they came out with Year One, Dark Knight Year One and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they came out with this as a graphic novel and everybody went, ah, because that killed the value of it. Oh, I see. Really? Yeah, this, this, this came out right around the same time that <clears throat> Batman Year One and The Dark Knight came out in the, the, in the hardback, trade versions. The hardback graphic yeah, novels. Right. And that was one of the first ones and they were like, ah. Oh, Kills the value. I'm like, fine, kill the value so I can afford to go buy it and read it. So I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, minutia with you just for a moment because sure. uh, because I, w- I want you to know what the, 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 the terminology is like. I don't know how much uh, you guys are listening to comic book podcasts, and I know this is well. If the be... production was somewhat decent on them, I'd you love would, to listen right, to them, right. but they're horrible. <laughs> um, a lot of those podcasts go into detail about hating the term graphic novel if the if the volume wasn't originally designed to be a graphic novel. So, like uh, the Pride of Baghdad, graphic novel. Um, uh, God loves man kills the uh, the, the Claremont graphic. That's a graphic novel. The uh, Dark Knight Returns is a trade paperback because it is a collection of single issues. What? That was correct. Ever. <laughs> you don't think that's real important? No, not at, those, uh, not at all. Know, not at all. Categories. And I'm still going to say gig in the other podcast, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to use gig in our music podcast. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, so uh, 1982, uh, Claremont and Miller put out this uh, this Wolverine uh, trade paperback. Uh, Brian, what what uh, what are your memories of um, Wolverine? Were you ever into the X Men at all, or did you despise them when you were a kid when this came out, or what? Yeah, no, I I, uh, I enjoyed the X Men quite a bit, and um, I think that we even uh, got to see uh, Chris Claremont at that. Um, the Atlanta Fantasy Fest when we went there that time we got that's several right. issues signed and uh, yeah that's that's right he was there and uh, no I was I was a big fan of the X Men but I was never really a fan of Wolverine I was um, my favorite character was always Nightcrawler so yeah uh, who was who was probably just about the opposite of Wolverine in, in a lot of ways although he's a, he was a little nutty too but um. Yeah, so it, it was interesting because um, I, I never really went off on any sort of the tangents that Wolverine, uh, you know, started collecting anything where he would just start appearing and stuff. 
And uh, so I really didn't know that much other than what was sort of presented to me in in uh, Claremont's X-Men right there. So, um, so I really don't have any background uh, going into reading this. How about you, Scotty? Did you ever read much Wolverine when you were a kid? Yeah, I was a big X-Men fan. Um, and actually, my favorite character was Wolverine. Uh, I always liked them uh, not as much for the stories, but more how they were drawn. Uh, especially back when I was buying them, they had all the cool illustrators. Right. And so uh, that was the thing I always enjoyed the most. Sometimes the stories were hit or miss, but Wolverine was always my favorite by far. Now, uh, I'm going to get into the big uh, illustrator controversy since you brought it up. Um, who is your favorite X-Men artist? Would that be uh, John Byrne yes. or John Romita Jr.? I like Burns. He was the one I liked. Right, all right. I like Byrne, but what did what era was Romita Jr.? Uh, John Romita Jr. was drawing, um, I guess it was sort of... Oh, man, it I was got... a mutant massacre, I think. Yeah, yeah, he started drawing the regular Uncanny X-Men title, I want to say around issue 170, 180, somewhere in that range. Okay, so he was the, when the Morlocks came. No, that was still John Byrne. This is after the Morlocks. No, Byrne, because Byrne left to go do Alpha Flight. Because exactly I Byrne, I like both of them. I, I'd say Byrne's my favorite, too. Yeah. yeah. Ramita Jr., I think, is, um, uh, I think his storytelling, like the way, he, the way he presents the story sequentially, is really, really good. Uh, and and and, I, and people who are John Romita fans, I think that's what they really like about him. Um, but uh, I would definitely say that Burns' artwork is um, more uh, technically. Uh, I, I think people like it. It's the the technical execution of it better. Right. right? You know. Um, what about you, Chip? Um, I remember the first issue of the X Men I ever bought. I don't remember the exact number. It was one where they were. Trapped under Magneto, I trapped him under the um, volcano, and uh, the little robot android thing was taking care of him. Right. Um, it was either right before or right after they went to the Savage Land. It wasn't very far after the new X-Men came out, Right. and I bought it at the 7-Eleven near my grandmother's house in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. So I've always been a huge... I was a huge X-Men fan. I always liked Wolverine, but Nightcrawler was always my favorite, or <laughs> Havoc. And now, Havoc was only, you know, sort of an X-Men guy. Going back to the 7-Eleven, did you ever get the Slurpees that had the uh, all the Marvel comics? <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. all of them. Forgot about those, yeah. That was, uh, I, in fact, when I would go to get my Slurpee, I would go through and pull through all the cups and get the one <laughs> that I didn't have. And if they had them all, I'd get another Captain America because he was my favorite. Oh, okay. But, yeah, I was always, I was always, I mean, when it got down to... Even when like I went to college and I had no money, I was just trying to go, okay, I'll just buy the X-Men and the New Mutants. You know, I got rid of all the other ones, and then eventually I was just like, you know. But then also it took a couple turns with the whole Marauders stuff right. that it irritated me so bad. I was just like, yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> That's when I think they, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but I, honestly, I'll tell you this. This is the only Wolverine thing of him on his own that I enjoyed after this. I thought all the other Wolverine solo stuff was kind of crappy. Right. And especially um, when Magneto pulled the Aditanium out of him and he had bone claws, that's when I was like, this is over. This is done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, so let's talk about this, this book that we're actually you know, looking at. Um, I, 
Uh, we all have, well, except for, okay, for the listeners, Brian is actually in a, in a different state, so we can't see what he's doing. But uh, those of us in the room here, we all have, like, the hardback uh, recent edition of this. Brian, Brian, which which volume do you have? Uh, paperback. Okay. Um, so I'm That imag- was from 87. That's why I assumed that was when it was. But- I see. I see. Um so, so you're actually probably talking about the volume that uh, Chip was referring to earlier when he said that you know they they, you know, they put out a collected edition, they put out a graphic novel, and um, uh, everyone was complaining because they felt it devalued their original issues. That's probably what you have, um, because that would have been a, right about the same time as The Dark Knight Returns, eighty seven ish. Yeah, yeah. I was in college, so yeah. Well, no, it was much later than that then. I don't know. Maybe I've screwed up the dates completely. Who knows? Uh, Dark Knight Returns may have been eighty-five ish. I don't. I don't remember. I'll have to. I'll have to look that up on Comic Book DB here in a minute. But um. But either way, I, I'm, I'm no, no, no. It was. It was Batman. They came out with a book, a big kind of like your Sandman's. That right. was the Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One and a couple other Frank Miller Batman comics. Right. All in one big hardback volume. Oh, I see. I see. That's and that's when this came out as a paperback that everybody freaked out about. Right. Okay, so I'm going to go around the room and ask for everyone's first impressions, like generally what generally what you thought of this as a read in 2008. Chip, uh, it was it wasn't as good as when I read it when I was younger, um, and I was also shocked to find out that Miller didn't actually write anything and he just drew part of it. Brian, I enjoyed it. It was it was. Uh... Like I said, it was really my first sort of in-depth sort of look, I guess, at Wolverine, like in in the way they presented him. I like the fact that it wasn't um, something where he was uh, battling people with just amazing powers. Someone like a Magneto that you know, there's absolutely no way he could overcome it, and uh, he's he's battling guys who are who uh, he has obviously a very good chance of just taking down, but um, but he's just got. It's all coming from all different directions during the whole series. So, um, no, I, I enjoyed it. Scotty? Uh, it, it was all right. You know, I think the same thing. I think uh, had I read it, I can't remember if I read this or not back then, back in the day, but I think I would have enjoyed it more then. It, uh, now it's... Um, Dated. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think the things that... It, it, it's, you know, when it came out at its time, it was... What it was doing and what and how it was done was was kind of uh, new. Yeah, yeah, cutting you know, edge. Yeah, content. exactly. And now it's kind of like we've we've seen this, and you know, even there's so much character development. Um, and I'm just kind of, for one, I'm getting a little sick of character development over plot. Right. And I think there was a little bit of this going on in this, but it, but I didn't hate it. I've read other things that you know, it was fair to middle. Sure. What 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 is it about it that you feel dates it? Well, that I think character development. I th- I think that's starting to turn. It's just being. It's so mainstream now to do that. Right. Look at the comic book movies that have come out. Not, you know, not not the past Iron Man, but look at the X Men. You know, sure. uh, it's a lot. And just look at uh, movies in general. It's so character oriented, and it's so that the plot is all, is um, submissive to the character development. Right. And that was because they were being re- reactionary to the plot being, you know, the the opposite. Right. So, um, 
has a little too much romance in it for me for Wolverine to a certain extent. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, he, it's kind of runaway bride at the end. He gets dumped, and you know, it's just kind of like as a I, had I been like a ten year old kid that had bought this, I would have been pissed. Because, you know, I didn't buy Wolverine comic books because it's exactly how I felt at that Hulk movie, you know. Mm, Hulk in love. I just was, yeah. I, I don't. You've just I, ruined the Hulk movie. For oh, me. no, I couldn't. I couldn't ruin it because it sucks. I mean, anyway. Uh, yeah, for me, you know, I don't. Wolverine in particular. Maybe right. a Captain America. Maybe, you know, Daredevil. But Wolverine to try to make him. You know, there's two women that are after him. I mean, it's just two, and he's a little like he's James Bond or something. I just and he's really philosophical in it too, which is I was reading it. I was like going, man, you know, come on. I got a question for you. At reading this, um, do you think I was thinking about how this influenced people? Do you think Josh Whedon was influenced? Uh, oh, for clear. Angel, oh, yeah, I think absolutely. so. That was one of the things. And then the other. Do you think that um, maybe any of the Kill Bill stuff was influenced by this? Oh, I, I think so. I think so. That oh, was yeah. when reading it, it, it. That's what kind of stuck out to me. The, the hand and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the question of influence when you're talking about um, Miller in particular is 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 just a giant issue because um, <clears throat> of all the stuff he was influenced by is really coming to the forefront of popular media today and all the stuff that he influenced actually came to the forefront of popular media before he was even famous, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll give you some examples to back that statement up. Um, uh, Miller was greatly affected by um, a comic book series called Lone Wolf and Cub. And if you guys haven't read Lone it's Wolf... It's manga, isn't it? It is manga. Manga. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Today I'm That's just, fine. That's I'm, just fine. I'm just giving Chip the minutia of whatever. Um, yeah, so uh, Lone Wolf and Cub was uh, a really, really popular Japanese manga series and eventually an anime, I think. I've never seen the anime, but I'm pretty sure they made one of it. It was actually a TV, a live-action TV show. Really? Okay. Because he's the one with, they have, he's got yep. the baby carriage with the swords and everything. That yep. was a live-action TV show in Japan. Well, that particular or story... Or maybe a movie. That particular story was really, really influential for both um, Miller and, I mean, both for a lot of people. And uh, if any of you have seen Road to Perdition, that was a straight lift of Lone Wolf and Cub. So you know the Lone Wolf and Cub Well, that was a graphic novel before it was the movie, I know. The guy who did the graphic novel for uh, Road to Perdition, I I heard an interview with him about three years ago, and uh, he he confessed that he got hired to do the... Let me back up. He had been hired to do a series of... of, uh, Dick Tracy comic strips. And somewhere along the way, while he was doing the Dick Tracy comic strips, uh, a comic publisher in Europe came to him and said, hey, we would like to do like a devoted mystery comic. Would you like to write it? Because you've been writing Dick Tracy. And he said, oh, sure. And then faced with the task of actually having to write something quickly and not having any ideas, he whipped out his lone wolf and cub and translated into a... Modern day mafia. Right. So um, anyway, that was a really, really big deal for um, for Miller, and I think anyone who is a Miller fan knows that he went a little bit samurai crazy after Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> I mean, you got Daredevil's a samurai now, Wolverine's a samurai now, um, Ronan, uh, Ronan, which was a thing that he did for DC Comics, you know, which was de- definitely a samurai-ish kind of thing. Electra, um, Electra. 
the hand, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, subsequently, when he got the job at DC, funny side note, by the way, when, uh, when, when Miller got the job at DC to do uh, the Batman thing, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but he pitched it specifically because he was turning 30 and he was pissed off that Batman was still 29 in all the comics. <laughs> and so he... Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it, funny. it occurred to him that it, he should set Batman in the future so he would once... Miller would once again be younger than Batman. Uh. <clears throat> um, when he got the job, one of the first things that they asked him to do was to not include any ninjas or samurais in the story. <laughs> I think that was wise. I think that was wise. That was probably a good call. But what I thought was hysterical was in the new Batman movie, they totally pulled oh, out yes. the freaking... Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the... Well, Ray Shao Ghoul thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was that Miller? Did he write that or was that written? No, no, no. Actually, actually, the, the whole like... Uh, uh, martial arts association thing had nothing to do with anything that had ever been in a Batman comic. Oh, before. I thought it had been. I mean, Batman was, is a martial artist, but they, they made that like one segment of like a, a much larger oh, okay. preparation. It worked. Task to it was a good movie. To, yeah, it was a great Best movie. Batman movie they've ever made. Oh, clearly easy, but still, I thought it was funny that, you know, they, they totally gave Miller the thumbs down on making sure yeah. he didn't include the martial arts. And stuff. then they shove it in the movie. Yeah. When right. that first chance. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, as far as Miller's influence on other things, um, I'm sure you all know, well, I don't know if you all know this, but uh, most of you probably know, that um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which were hugely successful in the late 80s, were a direct lift of a bunch of Miller concepts. But it was Ronin the cover, right? It was just supposed to be a spoof of the cover, right? No, actually... um, it, it was it was lifted from his ideas from Daredevil. I don't Splinter know if you was that. stick. Yeah, Splinter was stick. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the 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 foot, which yeah. is who they were always fighting, was, was the, the hand. Was the hand the main nemesis in the Daredevil oh, books? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin, the canister of goo that falls out of the back of the truck and falls into the sewer and turns them mm-hmm. all radioactive or whatever. The canister came out of a truck that was swerving because it nearly hit an old man that a young boy like tackled in order to kick out of the way. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> That's the Daredevil origin. That's exactly right. Really? Yeah. So, um, well, uh, the comic book, not the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever. So, um, <laughs> speaking of lame movie, hero movies, the movie doesn't oh, exist to me. Gosh. It's dead to me. Um, yeah, so uh, I hate Ben Affleck because of that. <laughs> I probably hated him before, but I really hated him after running Daredevil. Speaking of Ben Affleck, I got to tell you this story, Scotty. Well, it's on my mind. This has nothing to do with Frank Miller. Um, when I was up in Nashville, there was a kid who was uh, a German fellow uh, by the name of uh, Johannes, and I cannot pronounce his last name. So Which is good because it's a podcast. We don't right. Uh, yeah. So um, anyway, Johannes uh, saw that I had transcribed this Bela Fleck and Edgar Meyer thing. There's your Edgar Meyer reference chip. Um, <laughs> even in the comic book podcast. Even in the comic book podcast. And uh, anyway, he knew that I had uh, transcribed this thing, and he wanted to do the Bela Fleck parts. And I would do the Edgar Meyer part oh, so cool. that we could do this as a duet, right? And uh, and so we started working on it. But every time he would um, he would reference it, he would say, "Alan, when are we working on the Ben Affleck?" 
<laughs> thing, and I would have no idea what he'd been at. What been at? Bela Fleck. Oh, I get it now. It was just so difficult for me to get past his uh, accent. Every time he said Bela Fleck, it sounded like he was saying well, Ben I think, Affleck. You know, that happens a lot. People mix those two guys up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're virtually Very the same similar. person, really. They both have dated, uh, what's her name, uh, Jennifer? Uh, Garner. Garner, yeah. They're didn't, didn't they end up getting married, Ben Affleck? And yeah, but aren't they on kid. the ropes now? I have no idea. I don't. Shelly, are they on the ropes? No, they're not on the ropes. Okay. They both suck. (laughs) Electra and Daredevil ruiners. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so um, uh, as far as the rest of the, uh, I mean, you know, Miller has greatly influenced all kinds of other stuff. I think that, I think that Batman, the Dark Knight Returns, like pretty much between it and Watchmen, set the tone for comics for the following, well. Till now. Till now. Or up past, hopefully past now. Because it sets a pretty high standard. Right, right, right. So this this was one of the first things that, uh, well, not, I guess this was probably the third or fourth thing that Miller ever did that was really, really famous. The first thing he did that was really popular were those Daredevil issues. But this Wolverine thing that you're looking at was definitely one of the first, uh, one of the first big Miller properties. And... Um, you know, even though he didn't write any of it, like you were mentioning earlier, don't you guys think that he had like a big hand in redirecting Wolverine? Because before this, Wolverine was really sort of like a a random. Yeah, he this yeah. really this really helped develop Wolverine as the character that he is now. But <clears throat> um, and I think Miller the way that he posed it because a lot of this, if you read, I was noticing some of the movements in this or the the panels. If you've ever read Akira, yeah, similar panels. Like you know, oh, yeah. there's there's a lot of panels without any writing that's showing movement, that's showing what's going on. Not to the tiny detail that you get in Akira, but still. And I think that that and then just the the way that he moved it, I think helped develop him, made him look, sure. you know, a little bit more three dimensional. Um, I think this came out shortly before. Um, I'm going to ask Brian about this because this is one of the, his uh, areas of expertise. I think that this was um, greatly actually influenced by a, uh, a writer named uh, Walter Simonson. Uh, the reason that I think that is because Simonson was responsible for a series of DC called Manhunter uh, just a couple years before this came out. And shortly after this, Simonson did a. Uh, 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 a, a series for uh, Marvel. It was a Thor thing, and I think I think Brian was a pretty big fan of that. Did you see any Simonson influence in this, Brian? Yeah, um, as far as the art goes, um, you know, I, I hadn't really even looked at it in those ways before. Where uh, I guess some of the the art just sort of crosses over from from uh, segment to segment. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't know that much. You put me on the spot as an expert. Sorry. On, <laughs> well, I enjoy just the stuff with Thor. Up. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much what I'm trying to do. <laughs> spot here, but uh, no, but yeah, I just looking, thinking back of at some of the uh, some of the art that he did in, in those Thor issues. It, there was uh, some very some things that were very similar. So. So, um, did you did either of you notice anything about the book that you felt like you could see as influence on other things that you read or have seen since? Well, I mean, I think he solidified the look of Wolverine in this. Sure, because before right. Wolverine, you know, like if you went back at, he was kind of looked the same. But I mean, like 
you look at the back cover, I mean, that's Wolverine now all the way up through the movies. I mean, right. that's Wolverine. Sure. So I think that he solidified a lot of that. Well, especially without the mask. Yeah. <laughs> You well, know. what about those claws, man? There's a lot of there's a lot of conversation as far as the look of the claws are are concerned. You know, like uh, at one point in time, they had them sort of spiky looking. They were long and, and curved, and then this is this is when they have the Tanto Samurai tips to them. Right, right. they look more like blades. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's true. So was that? I don't know. I'm I'm actually asking. No, that was seems that a, to was that a was that a Miller thing? Was it? I think that was a Miller thing or? because burn. If I remember correctly, when Byrne was drawing them, um, they were more... I remember once in a Marvel team-up that he was in, they were ridiculous because they looked like they were about three feet long. (laughs) I remember those were really bad. But I think this... Well... But if you look at the front cover, which is Miller, they're like spikes again. Yeah, but I mean, that, that... that, that was obviously drawn much later. I was about to say his style changed style a lot. Has changed dramatically. Yeah. yeah, that really looks a lot more like um, Dark Knight Strikes Again or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but um, I just, I mean, you know, one thing is, why do they have to reintroduce him as a character at the beginning of every issue? How, how did you That's feel about that, that, Brian? Uh, how did you feel about that, Brian? I was actually about to ask you. Good. <laughs> I, well, I, I thought that would have been a great opportunity because uh, for them, um, they yeah, they did. They almost like treated it sort of like it was each issue was it's sort of a separate story, and it it really wasn't because there were you know, I don't know that you could read any of these individually and really get the whole thing that was going on. But the, I was reading the introduction that um, Chris Claremont put in the very front, and I'm not sure if the same introduction is in the hardback copies. I bet it is because ours says January 1987. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that same. And just from that, I got the feeling that before I ever even read it, I went ahead and read the introduction, that what I was going to see through this entire you know uh, series of comics was a transition of Wolverine from just, you know, nasty, kick-ass, you know, Wolverine, as, as we think of him, but uh, that we were going to see him sort of mellow a little bit throughout the whole thing so i thought that would have been a great opportunity for each one of those introductions to start showing that development but if you read those introductions it's almost like reading the same thing over word and over word. again yeah well so, and, every, I mean, and it always had the translated from japanese yeah <laughs> translated from japanese. the editor's notes right yeah actually i i have to i have to confess i i, I kind of miss the editor's notes in in modern comics because uh they used to say things like um if you want to know more about this, see such and such. Yeah, an and it had a little asterisk. And it would tell you a reference an old too. issue or right, right, right. I would go buy those issues or, as a kid. I would go look in the back. Yeah, and try to find them. Sure, to find but them. Now was you that like Jim Shooter? That would was he the one that would go through and do that? Or I, I, I don't know. I actually think it was whoever the particular editor for the particular oh, okay. book was. You know, because while Jim Shooter was the editor in chief when this was out, you're right. I don't know that the editor in chief was the one who was looking through the minutia of the book. Oh, okay. Jim Shooter was the supervisor on this one. Well, then he might have been the guy who was going back and yeah. putting all the translated from the Japanese. Did you know? To totally change the subject, did you notice the uh, sort of seventies uh, vibe the clothes had? Yes. I well, I mean, nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. But they were, you it wasn't know what that I mean? far off. Yeah, it wasn't that far away. <laughs> but I mean, it definitely had the whole. It wasn't didn't have an '80s look. It had a '70s look to them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But 
I mean, I just remember because I'm the one. I'll take credit. I'm the one that picked this. We were like, well, "What are we gonna do the first one on?" I'm like, "Ooh, let's do it on that." And then after reading, it, I was like, "Man, <laughs> a little too old." But it's good, you know. No, it was cool. Well, I've I've heard from a lot of people that they have a difficult time reading uh, older Claremont books, or actually any. I have Claremont I have books. trouble reading all old comic books now. Like I picked up this Iron Man graphic novel, and he had like a mullet, and I just looked at it, and went, "Oh, I can't." I just put it down. <laughs> well, the mullet phase—that's a very famous phase. Uh, uh, I don't know, but because I love the Armor Wars, but now that's what it was, and I was looking at it, I was like, oh, I don't want to read this. Right. <laughs> But then me and Alan always fight over artwork. He told me I couldn't be his friend anymore once after insulting an artist. Man, he insulted <laughs> Dave McKeon. You can't insult Dave McKeon. He's like my favorite artist in the universe. What was it? Ark, Asyl- Ark of Asylum? Yeah, that was it. And I'm like, oh, man, this artwork sucks. He took sucks. one look at it, and he was like, this artwork sucks. <laughs> and I was like, you can't be my friend anymore. <laughs> oh. Yep. But... um. What else? I wanted to say something else. Oh, um, Brian, does your does your book have the two really crappy uh, X Men stories in the back of it? <laughs> no, it does not. I did not realize really? how bad the X Men were because oh, I loved me. them when I was a kid. But me I read too. these two and I was just me like, too. not only it's just really lame. And then this is the whole introduction of Madeline Pryor, which just makes me even matter. Yeah, right. So I'm just you know. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, and the thing about it is, but. Go back to my, you're a 10-year-old kid, and you... and, oh, and this in a is way, awesome, yeah. And these weren't really made... Well, I, I don't think, especially the Wolverine ones, they weren't made for kids. That's not a kid's comic book. It's not action-packed. No. You know what I mean? And, and But it's funny, spilling over into the X-Men, what if you picked up X-Men 172 and you're like a 10-year-old boy? I mean, and there's a wedding in it. I mean, I would have been angry if I had spent <laughs> my hard-earned money... And I'm getting, you know, the love connection from uh, from Wolverine. And then you get to see, well, you do get to see, you do get to see Storm and Yuko's kind of strange, yeah. possibly alternative relationship that they're developing. <laughs> More Josh Whedon influence. More Josh Whedon. I guess it's 173. You know, and and just I don't know. I mean. Your hard-earned 60 cents, man. Yeah, dude, when you're that young and you're trying... I remember it was hard for me to get up the money to get a bunch of comic books. You know, I either had to beg my dad or find it or something. It wasn't like I had a regular job, so it it was hard. They were hard to come by. Sure. And so if I would have bought that, I would have been very disappointed. Well, I think that it. I think that the X Men um, were, were actually really famous for including all that relationship stuff. Yeah, they were. The they were to do, to do and they and they've redeveloped it. And Josh is reiterate re bringing it back in the whole astonishing, astonishing X Men with mm-hmm. Kitty and Colossus. Yeah, see, I bought it for the art as a kid. Oh, I just I bought remember. the X Men because I had to read the X Men. They I started out with the Fantastic Four, and then I and then I found that X Men issue, and then. There goes the Fantastic Four. I was never really into the Fantastic Four. That's all I knew. Those I mean, movies you know. reinforced it. Or, yeah. uh, hey, Brian, how'd yeah, you like Are they still even putting out the Fantastic Four? I mean, I take it they are. Oh, yeah. It's a classic yeah, comic for them. But Yeah, actually, um, for those of you who don't it know. It was the big one. Uh, the Fantastic Four was the, was the comic that launched Marvel Comics. Like It's the one that really put them on the map. And, and, and as far as modern comics are concerned, um, uh, I think one of the bigger selling things for Marvel right now is something they're putting out called the Ultimate Line, which is basically they, they started over from zero with the universe and anything that says Ultimate 
X-Men or Ultimate Spider-Man or whatever is like a reinvigoration of the line. Man, the Ultimate Fantastic Four is one of their biggest selling titles. Well, see, hmm. when I was little, when I was a kid, and I don't know, I think it was I, we went to a flea market or something, and this guy was selling all these comic books, and they were literally one of those things, you know, like the old, you know, old flea markets. He had like a bundle, like you know, four or five inches thick for like a dollar fifty. Yeah, and I think I, I had like five dollars in my pocket, and I just threw it down and walked <laughs> up with, you know, I was like the happiest kid in the world. And most of those were Fantastic Four and Giant Size Fantastic Four, so I was like completely invested in. This. Fantastic Four for quite a while, and yeah. then but then once you know I started picking up other things, you know. Well, until very recently, um, <clears throat> the the first hundred issues of Fantastic Four were like the longest running book made by two creators consecutively, and that was Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. They they did the first hundred and two or something episodes of the, right. or issues of the Fantastic Four. Uh, consecutively and monthly without, you know, missing a beat or whatever. And their record was only beat recently by uh, Brian Michael Bendis and uh, I can't think of the artist's name who's doing uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, how many of Bagley, so, Bagley, that's the How many name. issues of the Ultimate Spider-Man have gone in a row? 130-something. But is that is that a monthly comic or it a is. bi-weekly comic? It is a monthly comic. They have, the, the new amazing Spider-Man is, uh, they're putting it out three times a month now. I'd like to know, I mean, like, I'm, okay, I'm going to pretend like we have listeners since this is the very first, <laughs> but I'd like to know what everybody else's opinion is on the... Uh, on this whole re-envisioning the stuff. Because I remember when DC did that back in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it was DC, so who cares what they do. Exactly. But I really don't want to see Marvel <laughs> do that because I think it's so cliche. Look, you created the universe. You screwed it up. You deal with it. You don't get to go and go, oh, do over. We're going to start from zero. No. Right. You've got your continuity issues. You fix them. And please do not fix them with a crisis on Infinite Earth or another secret war. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But I'd like to know what other people think. Am I dead wrong? But I don't think I am. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to chime in. Then I'm going to ask Brian and then Scotty's opinion. Um, here's here's my thought on that. I think that continuity is a horrible, horrible beast, and I really enjoy it. Actually, when things are re envisioned, I love what if stories, and I love uh, your elsewhere. Oh, I love kind what if. They need to make a graphic novel of all the old what ifs. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, those are great. Those, those are, are awesome. Cool. Um, and, and the reason I like them so much is because they're not bogged down in continuity and anything's open, rather than some writer or artist having to be slave to some crap some guy came up with a thousand issues ago that they don't care about. Yeah, that's the know? whole basis of image comics or why they got started. Yeah. Or, or independent comics in general. In general, yeah. You know, um, and, and the original idea for Crisis on Infinite Earths, as Marvin Wolfman pitched it, was to blow away the DC Universe and start over from scratch. Like, it wasn't supposed to have any continuity held over from before the crisis. And the fact was that there were certain writers who wouldn't go for that, and so they had to keep some of the continuity around, and that's the reason that whole thing sucked. But if they had started over from scratch after Crisis, I would have thought it was an incredibly ballsy move and would have been worth the time to check out. But they didn't. Yeah, that's probably true. It's still DC, though. (laughs) Exactly. they got to do something. Um, How far back do you take it, though? I mean, do you take it to where you start replacing... Every character, or yeah, you know, yeah. Right. Actually, actually, I'll tell you what I would have loved. So, someone, someone told me this recently, and I thought, man, that would have been the coolest thing ever. Um, 
that one of the ideas that had been pitched was the idea that um, when they started over, they were going to make Jason Todd the first Robin, kill him off, and then introduce Dick Grayson later on, which, you know, that would have just been awesome for Batman to have, you know, a sidekick get killed five years into right. whatever, you know. That would have changed the whole Batman dynamic. Exactly, exactly, in a, in a, in a reasonably interesting way. Oh, <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, Brian, what do you think? What do you think about the continuity mess? I think it's like any story that goes too long. And, of course, this is not just a bunch of individual stories. They're all interconnected. So any story that's not episodic, it just it does. It gets bogged down in its history, and it, uh, it just loses interest. Um, so unless you do uh, what you – I guess to keep things interesting, you need change, dramatic change. Right. Um, and that is – it becomes more and more difficult to make those changes um, the further you go. So you end up with uh, something where it's like, well, we've gone so far without a change, we have to like crush the whole thing and start all over again. So, I mean, that's, that's basically what we're talking about here. And I think it, if it gets to that point where everything has just dried up, then, yeah, it's, it's a necessity. Or you could just make everybody super scrolls. <laughs> Which seems to be working for Marvel at the right moment. now, yeah. Um, <laughs> Scotty, what do you think? Well, you know, I think it's one of those things. I can see both sides of the coin. Um, it, it, to sort of play devil's advocate, if if you have a history, you have de- you can further develop characters because you have already established premises. Sure. And also, you know, there's part of me that likes, hey, look, I sweated through all those old Avengers. I'm rereading them. Uh, and they, they are dated. But, you know, the stories are the main things, the main events that happen. Uh, it's kind of cool. It's almost like, you know, I've invested the time to read those, and now you're going to scratch all that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and and I, so I think the strengths are... It's that thing where its strengths are its weaknesses, right? You know, you don't have you can further develop characters, uh, and not have to because re- you've got stories you can make slight references to. Sure, which I've always liked. Um, you know, as a fan, is to see those when we see them in the movies. Sure, really cool. Just little slight references here or there that don't play a main part in the story, but they add a little bit to the character. And you know, and like I said, it's almost like an inside joke to a certain extent. Yeah, I really dig that. But then the other thing is, um, yeah, there is a certain thing where you can't have continuity in this because it, there's been so many things that have contradicted themselves over time. Right. So I, I can see both sides of the coin on it. Um, it's almost like I, I think they should just do both. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, I think my opinion on it is um, continuity for a certain period of time is really cool, right? But once the continuity is um, a drain on the story because it's difficult to get the continuity to to make sense because of right exactly the passage well, of time. and you know, and and they get uh, boxed into a corner, right. and then they have to do something silly to yeah. explain that, right? Like, right. Like, you, if you take care of it early on. Right. Then it's it's not necessarily, it's I think people get comfortable 
um, with a storyline. And right. it would be good if it's right in the middle of that comfort is when you just sort of jar things. Mm. And a lot of people are sort of like, well, at first it seems stupid. It seems like, well, that was a dumb time to do that. But to let it keep going is when you get bogged down and then you sort of are forced into it. Well, then the other problem is that all comic books have, or specifically, I'm thinking of some things in Marvel, is it like a soap opera. In a soap opera, nobody dies, right? I remember my grandmother watched soap operas all the time. Somebody would die, and then like three years later, they would mysteriously come back, and they'd have some reason. And then, okay, so Jean Grey didn't die when the with the Phoenix. She was put in a tube... And, you know, like, uh, put in suspended animation, the Phoenix effect became the Phoenix. And then and okay. I'm like, no. Getting back to Frank Miller. For and then, of course, right. hold on one second. And then what was it? <laughs> Captain America gets frozen in a block of ice and pulled out how many years later? Yeah. You know, it's What's just like. That? <sighs> Come on. Am That's going to be the, the only scientist here? Uh, <laughs> yes, you are. You are. Well, but, I mean, you know, it's comic books. It was books. believable to me, Brian. What's your problem? It's comic books. Back to other. You bought the other thing to the Hulk you can buy, oh, okay. but you can't buy someone being frozen. So, so, so back well, to suspended animation. <laughs> I, the big green guy that comes from a little short guy that has the, yeah, that I'll buy. It's gamma radiation, man. Come on. Don't you know anything? Yeah, but at least we're going somewhere where we really don't know what would happen if, if, if the right sort of things mixed. We know what well, happens if you put somebody in ice. Right. Well, and the Captain Adventure store, the Captain America story is from early. You know, that's actually referenced in early Avengers. Yeah, it's actually so, from the first. Yeah, so that's one of the things I'm, I'm talking about. You know, I, but I know. oh, and one real quick: Did anybody ever read the What If of What If Captain America had not? gotten frozen i did not and how he becomes like a puppet of the mccarthy era and he starts they all everybody's getting an id card and there's all, all these right. race riots and it's all because of I captain america that, that was crazy i was just thinking about the what ifs and i was like those things were so good i remember reading speaking of frank miller will at least stay on that vein um the interview with him when they were talking about him making sin city and he was like um i'm not making any movies about anything that i do and i don't want anybody to ever make a movie about anything that i've invented because of electra yeah right you know and he said the Elect- <laughs> the daredevil was crap the electra movie was horrible oh, they didn't ask him movie. a thing about it and all of that and then it literally took robert rodriguez to go you i will not do anything unless you say it's okay you can be on set every day and if you don't like something you tell me and we won't do it but i will say this though on that note have you guys seen the preview for the spirit? Yeah. He totally turned the spirit into the freaking dark night. Oh yeah. Look, that's exactly what, cause I was like, Will Eisner didn't do it like this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've read some of those old spirits and they're nothing like they were almost comical. Yeah. They, they, they were slice of life stories. And then he had the girl in it. There was a girl that was in the spirit that was kind of like the female spirit. Right. I can't remember her name, but I remember reading those. Somebody at a comic store when I was a kid said, oh, you should read The Spirit. And I was like, there's no superpowers. Nobody flies. Nobody's got claws. I'm not interested. (laughs) Nobody has claws. There it is. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, on that note, um, I think that uh, what we're basically saying about Wolverine is that it's an important read because it was historical and the amount of influence it had on other people. Absolutely. And all that kind of thing. But it does feel pretty dated and it was tough to get through, especially when we get to the part that Miller did not draw. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah, man, and then yeah. I mean, you know, but I think that everybody should read it. it. It's, it's good. It's, it's the chunk. You know, you got to read it. It's good. The development of Wolverine. It's and, the but, greatest love story of our time. But, 
Did you notice the 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 spot where he's he's underwater swimming? Yes. Yeah. How can he do that with his? Does bones anybody have of- a, a problem with that other than me? Considering he's basically carrying around, I'm going to take a wild guess and say about 100 pounds of metal on him. He's, he's just, just that strong. Exactly. But that's not the point. But he wouldn't be, be buoyant. You could be, you could be <laughs> super, super strong. But if I attach the twenty-five pound weight to your to your ankle, yeah, no, no, no. It has but, nothing to do with strong. It has to do with buoyancy. And you've you've ne- you've basically just I know this is no, where but, that, the science no, that is part of it. No, that up, makes perfect sense. Though. I it. it doesn't matter how strong you are unless you can move your arms at super speed. Only but, the maybe the flash can get away with. But, but, but is is adamantium like titanium, where it's strong but light? That's what I was about to say. Adamantium must be the strongest metal known to man and weightless, exactly. or close to it. But yeah. no, because they talk about him being heavy. They talk about him right. being extra heavy a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know. So that's a so, that's I mean, a perfect point. All, yeah, the, all that bring... weight is just pure, dense metal. I mean, even though I know it's thin, it's still dense so metal. So if you were walking it, across the bottom of the water, that would make more sense. It would make quite a bit more well, sense. Well, see, we what go. if he's worked up to it? What if he just did like half a lap, and then <laughs> over time he's worked up to where he can he can just swim? And the kicker of the whole thing is he's swimming underwater. So yeah, it's not well, like he's treading water either. And the, I didn't get the whole... It looked like the building was underwater. If you remember no, the way that no, one that looks. Was yeah, yeah I know. It didn't look... That was, I didn't think that one was drawn as well. I thought it was no. drawn really good, but that... I looked at it and I was like, it looks like it's underwater and I can't understand it, so... And there's windows underwater. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's the first thing I thought also. I was like, Why are there windows underwater? Um... You know, yeah, but I think that anything, I mean, any comics you read basically from the mid-90s back and some even up to the 2000s are going to seem dated. But especially any of the stuff from mid you know, like early 90s back. All right, quickly. Expectations have been risen. Yeah, absolutely. This book helped helped do it. Okay, well, a couple of side notes then here real quick. First of all, if you read Ronan by Miller... I think you'll find that you disagree with that comment because it holds up really well. Well, I mean, yeah, certain things are going to, but I'm talking right. in general, general, the serialized sure. comics that you could buy off the sure. rack. But there, I, I think there are several miniseries from back in the day that actually read really well. Uh, Ronan was great. The Watchman is amazing. Has anyone well, read The Watchman? But The Watchman was not, you could not go to 7-Eleven and buy The Watchman. The Watchman had no ads in it, and you right. had to go buy it at a comic book store. That's true. That's a whole different animal. It is a whole different animal. You're and right. it was not part of the comic code. It was not part of the comic Well, a lot of really? stuff hadn't been part of the comic huh? code. Like really? the, the I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, trivia. What X-Men. was the first comic book that did not receive the comic code authority after it was in Alpha? The Spider-Man where Harry Osborn ODs on drugs. That's exactly right. What year? Uh, I w- it was in the 70s. 69. It was that old? Yeah, man. Well, when's the X-Men where, um, what's his name, Thunder whatever dies? That's uh, I want to say that's either seventy seven or seventy eight something yeah. like that. Yeah, I bought that off. I bought that at a comic book store. It wasn't that old when I bought it. So the Thunder one, not Thunderbird. Right. Thunderbird. That's it. So th- there had been plenty of comics along the way, and I even read. Um, uh, there's uh, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, which predates this Wolverine by twelve years almost. Wow. Um, it. It actually even holds up, like, and and it's like it's a serial. Well, we need like, to look for the like, ones that hold up and just re, you know read those you know later on and as books for the podcast. That sounds good, man. Speaking of that, next month, 
<laughs> we'll be reading uh, Powers, Volume 1 by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, there are no continuity issues with that one because uh, it's the first volume of a completely new universe for these characters Bendis came up with. Um, I think that uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction here that um, some of you are going to dislike the artwork but uh, get very invested in the story. That that works for me. I've read uh, years of New Mutants where I hated the artwork but loved the stories. So. Well, and th- this is actually this artwork is precisely the opposite of the New Mutants because the the New Mutants artwork you're talking about by uh, Sinkswick is that how you yeah, say his name? Yeah, the, the whole crazy stuff it barely helped. Yeah, form. yeah. This is more like um, very very simple line art, like it's it, it like tin tin. Yeah, it's it's almost like you know the Sunday comics kind of. Well, okay, I can artwork. get into that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Especially the story's good, so we'll see. All right. If cool. I hate it, you'll all know. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Sooner well, than later. Yeah, right. You'll call me next week. I can't believe you made me read this. No more bluegrass. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks a bunch. No problem. Thanks, man. See you. Right. Bye. So that's the show this week. We hope you had fun. Be sure to leave us an iTunes review. You can find out more about us online at thelegionoflethargicsupergeeks.com. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for a new episode. Next month, Powers Volume 1, Who Killed Retro Girl? By Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming.